The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, you know, Lloyd, today our show is about ethics and attorneys. And I was thinking, I was reading this article article in the Daily Journal about wrestling with withdrawal, meaning when an attorney has to withdraw from a case and all the confidentiality issues that came up. But I also thought about attorneys, um, you know, get a bad rap for ethics and how when you need an attorney, then you want to get someone who's going to fight for tooth and nail for you. But then again, if you have that person on the other side, you're going to think of him or her as being unethical. And there's all those attorney jokes about ethics. So I thought we would talk a little bit about ethics and privacy and confidentiality all in one. We have a wonderful guest coming to us from San Francisco. Let me tell you a little bit about Amy Bomsey. She is a partner with Arnold and Porter, LLP, which is a, a wonderful law firm up in San Francisco and uh, the Embarcadero Center. And so that's a beautiful area to be talking to us from. Amy is a partner and in the um, attorney liability and business litigation groups of Arnold and Porter LLP. She represents lawyers and law firms in claims brought by clients or third parties, and her experience ranges from defending malpractice and breach of fiduciary duty issues to third party uh, securities fraud and conspiracy claims brought against law firms. She's frequently called upon to provide advice to law firms on compliance with legal ethics, including conflicts of interest. And she also represents attorneys in responding to state bar inquiries, and she's a member of the Committee on Professional Ethics and Practice, which is the acronym is COPRAC, which is the Ethics Committee of the California State Bar. She previously served as an assistant district attorney for the city and county of San Francisco, and um, she has handled jury trials, and we're just thrilled that she's joining us to talk with, ab- with us today about ethics. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let me ask you a couple questions here about um, this, this 
uh, ethics committee. Sure. You know, uh, I'm always reading the ethics opinions and always wondering about that. You know, I do, um, uh, now I've limited my practice to mediation, but there's all sorts of ethical issues that come up with regard to attorneys and that the whole new issue about if you have an attorney representing you in, in mediation, that even if he messes up, you can't sue him. That was a recent case. So, yes. you know, so people kind of worry about um, ethics and and their attorneys. So so let's talk about your the committee that you're on and, and what kinds of things that you grapple with. Sure. So, um, as you said, it's, it's the acronym is COPRAC, and it's the State um, Bar Ethics Committee. There is also uh, various uh, communities like L.A. and San Francisco also have local um, ethics committees of their local bars, but the COPRAC is the California-wide one. And it's uh, made up of, I don't know the number, but a, a pretty a large, you know, 15 or so attorneys from across the state. Uh, these are people who represent plaintiffs, and people who represent defendants and people from little tiny firms and from big firms. And there are also always two non-lawyer members, um, you know, who, who, who have the role of, of raising their hand when they, they think we're getting a little lawyer-centric on the committee and, and say, hey, you know, remember the client, remember the consumer. Right. Um, and uh, um, so it's, uh, it's a good cross-section of lawyers. Uh, which I think means that we're going to be thinking about the concerns from you know a variety of perspectives, which are quite different. Um, and we work in a tremendously collaborative sort of consult- consensus-building manner. What we do is we um, what we primarily do is we issue ethics opinions that you mm-hmm. referred to earlier. And ethics opinions are sort of we'll, we'll lay out a scenario um, that might happen to an attorney and talk uh, and in a very practical way about what are the ethical issues that are raised and how an attorney might deal with them. And uh, the goal is to provide that practical advice to attorneys because there are, as you say, there are ethical rules. I don't think necessarily the general public may be aware of that, but it's, there are absolutely a set of ethical um, rules that uh, govern attorneys. Um, in California and in all the 50 states. and But their rules, and like all rules, their application to the real life isn't always so obvious, and there are times even when there are two rules that are, uh, an attorney is put in a position where there are two rules that are, you know, at war with each other, which right. we'll talk about later. Um, so that that's what we do at COPRAC, is, is write these opinions. And because we are such a collaborative consensus uh, building sort of organization. It can take months and even years to draft these opinions. Once we draft one and it's approved at various levels within the state bar, it's published on the state bar website, and um, anyone can offer their comment on it. And then we review those comments and often make modifications. Uh, people point out things that we did wrong, and we are uh, ready, readily uh, modify our opinions. And ultimately, they become formal opinions of the bar. They are not laws. They don't have the force of law. But courts do look at them when issues, ethical issues come up in, uh, in cases. So they, you know, they have some guidance uh, value. And, uh, and I, hopefully, they're, they're of service to lawyers in, in figuring out how to practice ethically. Right. 
And I think if you're listening to this and driving by and you're thinking, oh, lawyers and ethics, isn't that an oxymoron? (laughs) If they think that, um, you know, those of us in the profession, really, we don't want people to be unethical because it gives us a bad name as well, besides hurting the clients, and that is terrible. But, I mean, we want to make sure that people are following the ethical rules, that they're they're treating people well, and that they're being service-oriented and not being unethical. So just to know that, um, that's why the State Bar takes this very seriously. And, you know, I look at these more often because I'm, I chair the Privacy Committee of the State Bar uh, Law Practice Management and Technology Executive Committee. So, you know, we're looking at all of this. And, uh, and again, we, we want to make sure that all of us are aware of how to use this. And, and having these opinions are really helpful because it gives you some some you know, practical scenarios that we can look at and say, oh, oh, that's what you mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And I agree with you. I think it's, um, it's not a good thing for society when, when, lawyer, when uh, people generally have a low opinion of lawyers because, mm-hmm. um, you know, lawyers play an important function or at least are intended to in ensuring that, you know, that laws are appropriately and justly um, imposed and uh, that and and that people's rights are respected and um, you know court, there's a lot there are many court opinions again something that non-lawyers probably don't know where courts talk about um, they will do things where they'll say even though there may be nothing has gone wrong here we are not going to allow this particular circumstance to continue because it, it might reflect poorly on the reputation of lawyers, and that's of a concern to courts, and it's of a concern to lawyers. And so so mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, and I do agree with you also um, that there's a certain amount of paradox. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, that to some degree lawyers, people want lawyers, they, they respond to the idea of a lawyer as a defender. Yes, yes. Gladiator. <laughs> the, the, the saying is that every everyone hates lawyers except their own. They right. like their own lawyer, right? <laughs> right, right. And and people like the idea of someone who will go to the mat for them. Right. But then when you turn it around, they say, "Oh, well, if it's going to the mat for someone else, it's it's trying to you know be sneaky." Right. Um, and so um, so it's an interesting tension that I don't think we'll probably ever completely resolve. Right. Right, we're supposed to be fervent advocates, right? But um, <laughs> at the same time, we we should be uh, civil and right and, and, and upholding, you know, the interests of everybody. I mean, are we right. supposed to do act purely in our client's interest? What if our client's interests we know are you know acting in the client's interest is going to be harmful to a third party? Yes. At what point do we have any duties at all, if ever, to those third parties? And that's um. That's something that the law and ethics struggle with. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about this. I think it's an interesting issue, the formal opinion 2015-192, dealing with an attorney withdrawing from a case and the duty of confidentiality. And I think, you know, sometimes uh, people have a new attorney or sometimes the attorney has to withdraw from the case. So let's talk about when would your attorney want to or have to withdraw from your case. Sure. So so there is a distinction between the have to and the want to, which right. we the the rules refer to as mandatory withdrawal or permissive withdrawal. Right, right. So there are a couple of situations where you you have to withdraw from a case according to the, the um ethics rule that applies to this and that is um where you where an attorney knows 
that the case doesn't have any merit and is brought for an improper purpose, like harassing someone. Right, right. Uh, so on that case, in that circumstance, when the attorney, and that's the circumstance that in the hypothetical and the opinion you're talking about raises, um, the lawyer finds out that the case, you know, that maybe the facts as told to the lawyer weren't as, you know, as the lawyer looks into it, the facts don't turn out to be what the client told the lawyer. And then the lawyer goes to the client and says, you know, this, this is, turns out, I don't know whether you just made a mistake, but um, there really isn't any, you don't have any claim. Right. And the client, instead of saying, oh, oh, you're right, well, we should dismiss, says, I don't care. I didn't bring this to win it. I bring, I bring this to make a you know, big problem for my adversary because she's my ex-wife and I hate her. Right, right. Um, and, uh, and that's when a lawyer has an obligation to withdraw. Now, the thing is, if a, if a lawyer's in court representing a, a party in court, you have to get the court's permission. So even if there's an ethical obligation to withdraw, you can't just do it willy-nilly. You have to go to the court and ask the court's permission. Right. So if, if, you're, if your client won't let you off the hook and say, okay, I'm substituting you out and I'll get a new attorney, if they say, no, you can't just, that's what you're talking about, right? Where they go in and ask to withdraw when their client won't let them out, right? That, that's typically the, the scenario. Right, right. I mean, even if the client would let you out, you still have to get the court's permission, but the, you know, I, I can't, it's very unusual, would be very unusual for a court to care. I mean, as, as right. long as the client's happy. But right. yes, in a situation where the client says no, you're my lawyer, and you're going to stick, stay my lawyer, right. uh, and, and you um, have a reason to believe that you ethically have to withdraw, that's when you have to go to the court and, and attempt to get the court to let you out. And the question is, what can you tell the court? Right. Um, and so that's where... You have an adverse, uh, you may say some, you don't want to say something adverse to your client. My client's been lying to me and made this whole case up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, uh, you, you can't do that. I mean, the ethics rules, your duty of confidentiality um, bars you from doing that. Uh, so, you know, the, the, um, the ordinary and, and proper initial uh, practice is to say to the court something quite general, like, my ethical duties require me to withdraw. And that, ordinarily, most courts w will accept that. Um, in the hypothetical and in life, there have been instances where a court um, won't and, and wants you know, it's, is concerned that the client may be prejudiced by the withdrawal uh, or for, for a variety of reasons, insists on more information. And that's when you um, get into uh, this question about what, what can the lawyer uh, disclose. And, uh, and the answer is, um, well, the question is, what if the court orders you yeah. to uh, disclose why you're withdrawing? Right, right. And the, and the question is, can, what can you do? And, it's, and this really is a, the, an, the lawyer between a rock and a hard place. Yes. Because the lawyer, a lawyer has a duty not to disobey a court order. Right. We are officers of the court. Don't want and to be on thrown the other jail, hand, right? Don't want to be thrown in jail or sanctioned. Right, right. I mean, you if you're in contempt of court, you risk jail. Right. And there is actually, there's an opinion out there um, where, it, where a judge says, you know, this didn't happen in, in this particular circumstance, but if, if, if pressed, a lawyer should go to jail rather than give up the client's secrets. So, you know, and to me, when I hear lawyer jokes and I hear people disparaging lawyers, it, I, I remember 
you know, there's, uh, there's all this bad press about lawyers, and yet on the other hand, we are held to such an amazingly high degree of um, responsibility. I mean, yes. what other profession would someone seriously entertain the idea um, journalism, maybe that you should go to jail rather than disclose something that your client, you know, right. said to you. Right, right. So, I mean, it's it's ironically, it's a highly eth- it, it, I believe it's a highly ethical profession with some notable and famous exceptions. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay, so so there is some um, some talk about what what you should do. So let's say the the judge says, I want you to tell me what that reason is. Okay, yeah, I'm ordering you to disclose that confidential information. So what should the attorney do? Uh, well, so there are a couple things the attorney should do. The, uh, the first is to go to the client and seek the client's permission to disclose the information. Um, if the client will not agree, the attorney should... Um, uh, attempt to uh, appeal the court's order to a higher court, to the Court of Appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and assuming that the, um, and, and the, and the lawyer can also attempt again to convince the court that uh, there simply is no way the lawyer can abide by her ethical obligations and duty of confidentiality. But if all those things fail... Um, it becomes a very difficult question that, that in a way, the co-practice decided it couldn't, it couldn't dictate um, the right answer in every circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that co-prac, uh, so, so what I mean by that is whether the lawyer decides at the end of the um, path when she's exhausted all of her options, like trying to get the client's permission uh, to obey the court order, or the lawyer decides that her duty of confidentiality trumps all other duties and that she is willing to be in contempt of court is not something... It's just those two duties, you cannot reconcile. You cannot come to a clear and absolute uh, uh, guide for lawyers on that question because because it is so vexed and and the committee didn't believe that it was in a position to, to tell lawyers at that point which direction, which path they must take. Um, but what the committee does say in the opinion is that whatever direction the attorney chooses to go, the attorney needs to remember that needs to always keep in mind uh, reducing, controlling that prejudice to the client. So, mm-hmm. if again, if the attorney does choose to disclose information to the court, disclose as little as possible, take baby steps, See at what point you can satisfy the court. If the attorney decides to disobey the judge and be held in contempt, um, make every effort to uh, ensure that the judge does not hold that against the client. So, so even when you're hauled off to jail, you're still supposed to be thinking about your client's best interest. Right, right. It, and if you do tell this reason, then that judge is going to be prejudiced against your client. So, yes. you know, unless you could get the client to agree to allow you to tell a different judge, and then the judge would tell your judge, okay, it was a good reason. Yeah, 
No, actually, uh, Maria, I think that's, that's actually, I'm not sure whether we cover it in the opinion, but that's a very good practical advice, is that, and that's, that's, a, that's consistent with this idea of avoiding prejudice, is say to the judge, look, I, I, I want to obey this order, but I, I don't want to prejudice my clients, so can you please hand it off to uh, your, you know, another uh, judge down the hall, and, and I'll tell him. And I, right. actually, I think that would be a very smart yeah. move. Yeah. Of course, then your client could still say you had a duty to keep my confidences anyway. Uh, oh, no question. Yeah. I, mean, the, I mean, then the you could client, get sued for that. <laughs> yeah. What's that? And then you could get sued by your client for breaching confidentiality. Yes, you could get sued <laughs> by your client, and you could the client could make a complaint to the state bar that right. you violated um, violated your profession, your uh, ethical duties. So, right. um, yeah, it, 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 it's a, it's an it's a story of a lawyer in a really tough place. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about confidentiality because that is such a huge issue. And, you know, I do programs and explain the difference between confidentiality and privacy and how they're both really important and they're interrelated. But I think people seem to forget about confidentiality with all this social networking stuff. Um, that That's made it even more of a challenge. So let's talk a little bit about the duty of confidentiality for attorneys so that our clients understand this. Sure. Um, so... Uh, there, uh, first of all, there are there are two concepts that I think people tend to um, intermix, and one is privilege, and the other is confidentiality. So, privilege, attorney-client privilege, is a is a rule of evidence, and um, it means that in court, uh, it's you can't bring in evidence of what you and your lawyer discussed, right. um, and it's designed. Um, among other reasons, to ensure that clients feel absolutely free to tell their lawyers everything, right. um, which is essential to the lawyer providing good advice to the client. Um, but so I think of the attorney-client privilege as um, governing uh, involuntary forced disclosure. For example, a subpoena. A lawyer can't be subpoenaed to uh, testify in court what the client told the lawyer. Right. The duty of confidentiality sort of goes more to um, in, uh, the voluntary disclosure, and the duty of confidentiality says essentially a lawyer can't tell, uh, can't share his client's secrets. Okay. Uh, the secrets that the client shared with the lawyer, uh, the lawyer has to uh, guard those secrets. And in fact, um, the uh, are, are that that's codified, that's that's put into the rules in two places. It's in the um, it's in the rules of professional conduct. And then there's also, it's also in a statute. And the statute says that the lawyer uh, has to uh, preserve inviolate uh, the confidences of the client. So it's, it's, it's very old, kind of 19th century style language. It's an old statute. And, um, and it's, uh, it's broader than privilege in the sense that it's not just what your client tells you. Right. It's, all, it's things that you learn from third parties. Um, and it doesn't even have to be information that's actually... Um, confidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, there is a um, a decision by a court that where a lawyer disclosed the fact that his client had a prior felony conviction, mm-hmm. and of course that's public, right? But the court said, well, it may be public, but it's pretty hard to find. And mm-hmm. if you hadn't gone and broadcast it, 
you know, the, the, the client could have kind of lived his life happily, probably with very few people knowing about his, his the, uh, skeletons in his closet. Now, query whether that's still true today. Yeah, with the, I was just going to say with the Internet, you can find out anything about anybody. That's right, <laughs> that's right. Do a background um, check. But, uh, but the general point is that the duty of confidentiality is broader than just the attorney-client privilege. Um, and it's virtually absolute. There are very, very few circumstances in which a lawyer is relieved of his or her duty to keep the client's secrets. Right, right. So how does, that, how does the California rules for, for, uh, of professional responsibility with regard to ethics, how does that compare with other states? Right. Well, um, it, 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 they're different. Um, and uh, as I was saying before, one, one of the kind of hallmarks of California's rule is that it has virtually no exceptions. The only exception, um, it would probably be helpful for me to describe it, is where the lawyer believes, um, hold on, I'm going to actually pull up the rule. Yeah, about uh, that, that there's going to be a danger to another person that, like if I say, if, I'm, if you're my attorney and I tell you I'm going to kill him, Something yeah. like that, <laughs> yeah. and you really believe that you. If I really believe that you, Marie, were going were on your way to kill someone, or right. to do it the, tomorrow or the next day, right. that's, to avoid that's it. the exception. Yeah, and that's the only exception that's written into the law. Now there are right. uh, courts have um, have found other exceptions, and actually, um, you know, there's, for example, if if you get into a lawsuit or a dispute with your client, which happens, you know, people get into right. fights mainly about bills. Um, but also about how the lawyer performed, and the, the client sues you, you as the lawyer can defend yourself. Um, right. There's an exception to the privilege where there's a, a dispute between a lawyer and a client. So so I don't want to say that, that that's the absolute only, but it is sort of uh, this, this, uh, it, it, what the difference, you asked me about the difference between California's yeah. rule yeah. and other states, yeah. and the real difference is the lack of exceptions. So... Uh, Others, most other states have adopted um, their ethics rules from a set of rules called the ABA model rules. Right. And the ABA model rules also has a duty of confidentiality, but it has several exceptions that don't exist in California. One is where you where the lawyer um, believes that they need he or she needs to disclose information to prevent uh, the client from engaging in some kind of fraud, which includes financial. So mm-hmm. we're not talking only about bodily harm; we're talking about um, uh, some third party being financially harmed if the lawyer has been involved in it. So say, for example, um, the lawyer is involved in issuing, you know, in, in helping a client to issue some public, some securities that are right. sold on the stock exchange. And the lawyer knows that, finds out that the, the client said something false and material in disclosure documents that people are going to rely on when they buy stock. Mm. Um, at that point, under these these non-California uh, confidentiality rules, the lawyer would be able to, and in fact would have a duty um, in some circumstances to, um, to disclose something, to, to correct the error. And, and how, how exactly the lawyer would go about doing that is, is pretty complicated. But that's, that's the main difference. There are also some other sort of express exceptions, um, like a lawyer can disclose confidential information uh, in order to get his own advice. So lawyers need to go to lawyers sometimes uh, to make sure that they're doing their job correctly. Well, that and was, they a, need that to was pay. a recent case here in L.A., wasn't it? That was a, a recent case where a, uh, a, a lawyer did 
disclose confidences to get ad- legal advice from her uh, counsel in the firm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and the, and that and that's yes. And the courts are um, coming around to acknowledging that actually it's a really good thing for mm-hmm. a lawyer to get legal advice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually something that clients should want. Right. Um, and uh, and so recognizing that um, that that's not. Uh, a violation of the duty of confidentiality, or you know, the other question is: is, is it is it um, a conflict with the client to go get advice? You know, for example, whether you made a mistake or not, should you be going to get advice as to whether you're, you might be sued for malpractice, or is that somehow are you are you doing something that's in conflict with your client by getting that advice? And the, I believe the LA court opinion that you're talking about said no, it's. Um, it's okay for the for the lawyer to get advice from his own her own firm, right? And then that would be privileged, correct? Yes, but it's, not, it's not, not privileged right. if they're like co counsel. It's <laughs> it's only privileged if they went for like your general counsel of your firm. So yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff for for us to be talking about. But we are just out of time. Wow. So that was wonderful. Thank you so much. And I want to just give you an opportunity to give your website, and then people can go and see some of the things that uh, is written on your website. Would you give that right now? Sure. Uh, so the website is uh, www.aporter.com, yes. And you can find um, lots of uh, excellent uh, lawyers' biographies and learn more about the firm there. Okay, well, thank you so much, and we'll keep in touch and have you back again. Thanks so much, Amy. Thanks, Marie. Okay, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.